You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcasts. Simply subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56 along with Kyle Tucker of The Athletic. Happy Valentine's Day, Kyle. Happy Valentine's Day, Dan. What are you wearing? <laughs> Sweatpants. <laughs> Same here. Up. Post work cinch up, so it's there's clothes for business, buddy. <laughs> well, I hope uh, everyone gets a uh, you know a little extra love today uh, on Valentine's Day, and someone who may be getting some extra love is Vince Marrow. Uh, now you know a couple weeks removed from uh, a flirtation with Youngstown State and the head coaching job there, uh, which you said don't make anything of it. Uh, let's not spend too much time on it. I don't think there's anything there. And there wasn't. There was nothing there. But now there's Michigan State. And I don't know the connection to Mel Tucker. I mean, he's from Ohio, is Mel Tucker, the uh, the former Georgia defensive coordinator who left to take the head coaching job at Colorado. Uh, then when it was reported that he was linked to um, – Michigan State, that Michigan State was interested in him, he went on Twitter and said, uh, yeah, not interested, flattered that they would think of me, but you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the build here. Uh, Michigan State comes back and goes, more money? And Mel Tucker goes, bye, Boulder. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. Yeah, he's also, you know what I said? Uh, yeah, well, money talks. He's also the guy who came out and ra- railed against the transfer portal and, yeah. you know, how not cool that was. Um but he's only, only in Boulder one season, goes five and seven. And this is his throwing... third, third job in three years, the guy who doesn't like the transfer portal. <laughs> uh, I just think that's ridiculous. I mean, look, you, you, I, I have no issue. They doubled his salary. They made this massive increase in his uh, budget for hiring assistants and facilities upgrades, all this stuff. I mean, he's in a better position to win there than at Colorado. Right. I don't fault them for doing that, but just don't be that guy and ha- and have an opinion like, oh, players shouldn't have freedom of movement. Like, exactly, outrageous. Um, but anyway. third job in three years, just yes. like you said. Yeah, so. it's outrageous, and and it's bizarre that that he was like this sought after after a five and seven season. Right, his first as a head coach. <laughs> I mean, he was. Uh, an assistant at Georgia, an assistant at Alabama. He's got a great, great pedigree. Everybody loves to hire former Nick Saban uh, assistants, but uh, he's from Cleveland, Ohio. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know either. I don't, I haven't really gone deep on what the connection is with uh, Vince Barrow, but I assume that if he I can't lived, find where their paths crossed, like in coaching, though. So if he lived in in Ohio in any period of time i assume vince Miro like knows his whole family so <laughs> right. um but yeah so vince has now been linked to this uh there's been a flurry of breathless reporting about how we should all take this one seriously um and i'm not poo-pooing that reporting i think um you know like i said on the youngstown state thing 
I think this is Cal Perry wanting a you know flirting with UCLA because he wanted to feel appreciated again after several years where it's easy for people to take you for granted. I think this is it again, um, you know. And I think I think I don't know that Vince got a huge bump, if any, during that flirtation with Young Youngstown State, which I never I don't think it was ever as serious as people made it out to be in the first place. Um, and this may be the moment where he says, look, I want a title that's a little more prestigious. I want a big bump in salary and let's do this once and for all, because unless somebody offers him a head coaching job or a coordinator job, which I don't see happening, um, a true coordinator job, I just, I don't get why he'd leave the setup he has here. You know, he's. Unless he's at Ohio State, he's in the best place to recruit Ohio, which is what his strength is. Right. Um, because if you go to Michigan State, you can no longer say, hey, come play uh, close to home, but against SEC opponents in the SEC. You don't have that anymore if you're at Michigan State or anywhere else. Um, I don't know. It just To me, unless Michigan State is like they did with Mel Tucker, just breaking the bank because mm-hmm. they feel like it's a – critical to get him I don't and Kentucky just won't even come close which the report is that they have come close on a counter offer according to Matt Jones I I just uh I don't see how it's real logical for him uh, I get why it's logical for Michigan State we had a, a really cool piece on the athletic that I did not write but uh, Ari Wasserman who covers Ohio State for us yeah uh came down here and and basically wrote this huge piece about how Mark Stoops, Vince Merrill, and Kentucky became the Big Ten killer because they've gotten all these players that, you know, Michigan State and Wisconsin was sort of making making its hay with. Um, you know, basically, if Ohio State doesn't get them, Kentucky gets them if they're a good player in the state of Ohio now. Yeah. Um, and so, clearly, all these teams in, you know, Michigan has shown interest. All these teams in the Big Ten have taken notice of Vince Merrill because Kentucky is the Big Ten killer in recruiting. Um, so I get it from their end. I'm not sure I get it really from Vince's perspective. Well, it, you know, he signed a new deal last January that was 600000 a year. Um, and then he gets a bump. So his bump this summer takes it to six twenty five. Then he gets a bump the following summer, which would, in 2021, that would take it to six fifty, And so... He is, you know, paid less than uh, Eddie Grand, who by twenty twenty two will be paid nine hundred and fifty thousand, so fifty thousand shy of a million. Um, uh, John Sumrall is already at six fifty, six seventy five by next year. So that's another guy who's making more than Vince. Um, Brad White is at. Uh, 625 but then this uh, as soon as this summer hits like July he jumps to 875 so now you got him at 875 um Eddie Grant at 8 will be at 900,000 this summer and then John Summerall will be at uh 650,000 and then here's here's Vince who I'm sure feels like he is the most responsible for uh, next to Mark Stoops, building the program. That if if you know Mark Stoops is the the head guy, he gets all the credit. But 
Uh, the perception is the right-hand man, the guy that gets all the players, is Vince Marrow. Now, I think there's a reason John Summerall has paid 650000 is because he gets some players, too. That was part of the draw of hiring him uh, away from, from Ole Miss. Um, coordinators have to be paid higher than Vince Marrow, in my opinion. They are running right. your offense. They're running your defense. So if you want... And at a really high level, I might add, on, in both yeah. cases. you know, Right. So Eddie I, Green's I, reinvented the offense in multiple scenarios and, and produced incredible rushing numbers. You know, done it with all different quarterbacks. Brad White is a guy that you better pay or you lose him to the NFL. Right. So I, so I understand that a little bit. Uh, but, but we need to take a break. We will continue this discussion on Vince Merrill. We'll also talk about uh, NBA draft prospects and, of course, the Ole Miss game coming up on Saturday when the Lockdown Kentucky podcast continues. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. We're back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast, and we were discussing Vince Merrow and uh, you know the numbers that I, w- I was saying. If he is, if he is going to get to the 900,000 range, like right away here, uh, to combat Michigan State's offer, which, again, was reported by Matt Jones to be uh, close to a million dollars. And, yes, those are my dogs barking. Um, part, the other half of my family walked into the house. So, um, Anyway, with, the, uh, with that kind of offer that, they, that, that Matt Jones reported and said that essentially equivalent – is what Kentucky has countered with. And then Justin Rowland uh, of Rivals has reported that Vince would make up his mind in the next 48 hours. So before the weekend is out, uh, we should we should know something from him. But if the money is about the same, then mission accomplished here. You, you're, you didn't ne- he didn't necessarily like go seek Michigan State. It, was, it came out that Mel Tucker, you know, is making Vince Merrow his, a priority because – they need players. The recruiting base is, is is what the focus is to build Michigan State. That's what Mel Tucker believes. And so, of course, Vince is going to use it to his advantage and say, well, here's what they're offering. What are you guys willing to do? And any smart person would. You know, I mean, sure. I there's no way I would just let um, another offer come my way that's, you know, a, th- a, a third – uh, of a raise over what I have right now and then not come back and go, you know, I would stay here probably if you could, if you could come up with something close to that. And I think it's also a, um, a marketing thing right now for Kentucky, a perception. If you, Mitch Barnhart, is perceived to not have given Vince Marrow enough money to stay, it's going to go back to, oh, well, you're just not investing in football. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. That's what the narrative is going to be. Fans are going to be all ticked off. Now, also, Vince Marrow, is he um, replaceable? Everyone's replaceable. Uh, I don't think you want to lose Vince Marrow, but if you did, would this thing be able to keep going? I say yes, it would. I think Mark Stoops has built enough of a staff and a reputation to this point that he could he could handle losing Vince Marrow and still be successful. I don't think he wants to. Uh, I think it would do a little bit better with Vince Marrow, just with um, you know consistency and, and keeping that staff together. But I think they're also at a point where they, they could sustain it. They could absorb that blow 
and be okay. Uh, also, does Vince Merrill want to go hang with Mel Tucker over Mark Stoops for the same amount of money if Mark Stoops is his childhood friend? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, to your point, too, you know, you've got a four-star DN out of Florida this year, a four-star corner out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a four-star offensive tackle out of uh, Independence, Kansas, uh, junior college. You've uh, got your five-star defensive tackle and four-star offensive lineman out of Detroit, which has become a place you're really recruiting. Um, you've got a corner out of South Carolina, uh, a linebacker out of Georgia. Um, yeah, you got you Josh know, Allen. Mississippi, Tennessee, Virginia. This is just this year. Uh, another one from Michigan. Uh, you know, out Phoenix, Alabama. They've got plenty of guys from Ohio, uh, for sure. Again, in this class, but they're not. You know, it's not the the total guts of their recruiting anymore because they're they're able to get a caliber of guy all over the country now, and they've established some footholds in some other places like Michigan, um, where. You know, I I think they would survive. Yes, they would survive, and, and I think Vince would find it harder to get some of those guys not being at Kentucky. Um, I, I not get, selling the SEC anymore, right? Um, you know, I, I just I don't know. I, I I'm a little bit torn because I think he's really important. I think it's it's the ideal scenario is you keep him, that you pony up, you keep him, you. It, it shouldn't be a money issue. Like we now know that there's this new influx of even more SEC money coming in, and it's only right. going to get bigger when when the game of the week goes from SEC. I'm sorry, from CBS to ESPN, right? Uh, in that bidding war, um, and so yeah, you can afford a couple hundred thousand more, three hundred thousand more to pay the guy. Um, and, and I also think you can. I think you can justify. Saying, look, our three, as I tweeted this today, our three coordinators, our offensive, our defensive, our recruiting coordinator, those are, in our eyes, those are almost equal positions because they're all equally important. You know, the, the three legs of a great program are offense, defense, and, like, getting players. Right. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it's outrageous to say we're paying our recruiting coordinator somewhere in the neighborhood where we're playing, paying our actual coordinators. Um, and if it matters to Vince and you want to slap co-offensive coordinator on his title and that'll help him if he wants to be a head coach down the road or whatever it is, do that too. Uh, I think that's ideal for them and it just keeps humming along. Uh, I think there would be some some pain that would come in the initial year or two if uh, if Vince left, but I don't think it just derails the, the train altogether. I, I think they're just too successful right now and they've they've – probably very smartly diversified their por- portfolio uh, in terms of where they're getting players here in the last couple of years so that they could survive it. Yeah, and I again, I just think perception-wise uh, with the fan base, it would, it would be a little rough. There would be some rough waters ahead uh, if, they, if they didn't, if Vince were to come out and say, well, the money was just too good to leave, you know. Um, so, okay, we can move on from Vince and uh, go into UK basketball. Got Old Miss ahead. But we had a question uh, from someone on Twitter uh, a couple days ago who wanted to know about, you know, 
would uh, Emmanuel quickly? What are the what are the whispers out there about Emmanuel Quickly's draft stock? Is he a first round projected pick? Is he a uh, projected to go at all? Well, uh, Sam Vicini, uh, isn't he with the Athletic? He is. Yeah, put out his mock draft and he put Nick Richards in there, which he had not had uh, in there previously. Tyrese Maxey and Ashton Higgins were already in there, but he still doesn't have Emmanuel Quickly uh, among those who would go in the first or second round. I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that Quickly will put his name in to find out yes. what, you know, what he can get, where he can go. But also Emmanuel Quickly is a little different than some of these guys. His interest in getting there as fast as possible I don't think is quite the same. He has different priorities in his life, and uh, I think if he – didn't really see what he liked, he wouldn't have a problem spending a third year at Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, he really, the NBA is very important to him. Uh, he, he actually told me it was pretty depressing when he realized, like, the NBA dream was going to be majorly delayed by, mm. you know, last year when he didn't play well or didn't play a lot. Um, so I do think he wants to get there. Um, yeah. But he also isn't going to, I don't think he wants to come out and, just toil, you know, say, just say, I know I'm going to the G League day one. <laughs> right. I'm going to have to fight that way. It is weird, though. Like, uh, it's a little strange. John Hale wrote a story today. It was a, one that I wanted to write myself, but I've written so much about Emmanuel lately that I felt like I was, people might get Emmanuel quickly fatigue uh, from <laughs> me. Um, but about, you know, how we should be talking more about Emmanuel quickly when we talk about who's the best player on this team. Um, I'm trying to think in the Calipari era when they've had a guard who averaged 15 a game, which Emmanuel now is. And if you go over like the last, you know, 13, 14 games, it's almost like 18, 19 a game. Um, but 15 points a game, shoot 41% from three and 93% at the line uh, with a very low turnover rate um, and not be a pro, like a, like a shoe-in pro prospect. And he's a former McDonald's All American. It's like not like he didn't. He you know, came from nowhere either. Right. Um, it's strange. I, I think probably some some of it is that he's you know um, a six three shooting guard who's not real big and strong, um, and probably would have to be a point guard at the next level. And and it's I think if he can if he can do that, you know maybe it's some of that. But it is strange. Um, and I will be really, you know, like Vecini doesn't have him in the in the draft right now. He doesn't have him in his mock draft, but he does have him on his big board. I think in the nineties, in the top one hundred prospects right now. Um, and I would note too that um, Nick Richards was on that big board, like maybe seventy eighth or something, you know, a week or two, like two weeks ago, and hmm. now he's projected fiftieth in Sam's mock draft, so he's moved up. You know, I think some of these guys, once they get on the radar, it is, you know, okay, let me see this production. What Where is it going to be now that I'm aware of you? Are you going to keep it, you know, are you going to keep producing this way? I, at this point, though, with Emmanuel Quickly, starting with Louisville, 18, 23, 15, 19, 20, 13, 12, 21, 11, 23, 21, 18, and 18 points. Um, you know, he's made multiple threes in... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of the last 12 games. 
um, he's valuable, and we know you know we yeah. know about we know about the free throws. He's I mentioned the the big free throw story that I wrote uh, yesterday or the day before, and quickly learning. And I think this is big for his NBA development. He he clearly keeps adding things to his game, and he watched these detailed videos about NBA players about how to draw fouls. And he's gotten 38 free throw attempts in the last four games, so almost 10 a game. Yeah. And he's only missed two. He's 36 of 38. That is valuable. I mean, James Harden's made his living doing that. Um, so, you know, if he just keeps this up, I mean, 25 straight games he plays well, does that, you know, at Kentucky, is that enough to finally get people to go, maybe he's a pro? I don't know. Well, you didn't think Shea Gilgis Alexander you know, was a pro necessarily. He goes in there and just, I mean, tearing it up. I mean. Yeah, and he's a guy that took, you know, it took, you know, the full season of people going, oh, okay. He kind of took over around Christmas time. Quade got hurt, and he really became the full-time point guard. And then it's like, played well. Okay, can he do it again? Can he do it again? Okay, is this like, is he really this good? Um, You know, maybe, maybe Emmanuel could get that late season bump that way. Well, if he has a great tournament, that would yeah. certainly help. Uh, but if not, he could just be looked at right now as a, a really good college player without um, the skill set that they see in Hagens uh, or Maxi. So uh, yeah. it'll be a developing situation without a doubt. Yeah. All right, when we come back on the Locked on Kentucky podcast, we will, we will discuss this matchup with Ole Miss that's coming your way Saturday. Locked on Kentucky, your team every day. Okay, we're back here on the Locked on Kentucky podcast, and uh, we we talked about Ole Miss a little bit already, um, and just the the fact that they come into Rupp Arena having won three in a row, um, scoring 83 and 84 points in two of those games, um, beating South Carolina, Florida, Miss State. Uh, None of those teams are chumps, but those have all been home games. Um, on the road uh, at LSU, lost by 10. Uh, at Georgia, won by 10. Uh, and then at Tennessee, got destroyed, 73-48. Now, that was January 21st. This is February 15th that this game will be played. So it's fair to say this team has changed a little bit. Uh, I've not noticed anything really significant in a bump w- with them um, in winning versus losing recently, except they've shot the ball really well these last three games, 47%, 47%, 48%. They're still not uh, a very good rebounding team. They're okay, but Kentucky has definitely uh, got better numbers rebounding the ball. Assist-wise, uh, they seem to be – I mean, they had a stretch where they were um, – down a little bit, but I mean they're okay now. They've had double digits in assists uh, last five games, so so I don't know if you've noticed anything about them in these last three to five games uh, that makes them so much better. But I, well, I, I don't see anything that jumps off the stat sheet at me. Well, one you know one thing against South Carolina, they jumped up way above their average and got thirty eight percent of their uh, misses, offensive rebounds. Yeah, um, their uh, free throw rate jumped up in that game as well. To uh, they ended up, I, I lost my numbers here, but 
I, you know, I don't know if it's anything other than finally, you know, one of the better backcourts um, in the SEC, if not the country, finally playing like it. We mentioned Brian Tyree's gone nuclear here lately. Um, I, I I wonder too. I, I haven't I honestly. I haven't looked. I'm digging into it now. Um, you know, if some of those big guys finally started to play, because they added one, um, Kadeem Sai, I think that's how you say his name, mm-hmm. um, yeah. who was a highly thought of JUCO guy. I talked to Kermit Davis before the season, and they were really excited about him. Um, I don't know that he was playing great early on. Um, I'm trying to find it. You know, K.J. Buffin was a guy they were hoping was going to have a breakout year this year after playing pretty well last year. Um, looking at yeah, six seven sophomore. He's played um, the third most minutes on the team this season, has Buffin. Yeah, so it does look like my uh, hypothesis is maybe has some uh, some weight. Uh, Kadeem Sai, 6'10", 245-pound kid, not really a kid, man, from Senegal, <laughs> right. uh, Juco transfer. He had 18 points and eight rebounds in their win over Mississippi State, um, 10 and 8 uh, against South Carolina. Not like monster numbers, but obviously very productive. He's been, he started to play well. He's had scored in double figures in uh, five of the last six games, it looks like. Um, doesn't block a ton of shots, but uh, has been a pretty good rebounder. So, uh, you know, I I just think maybe some of the pieces have come together. They they did sort of patch that team together beyond Brian Tyree and Devontae Shuler. They added some new parts. Um, but, again, I just – they went to the tournament last year, and I thought they were going to be uh, yeah. that kind of team again this year. I mean, when you look at the, it, the, the crazy turnaround where they were 12-20 and 20 in Andy Kennedy's last year, the next year, which was last season, they win 20 games instead of losing 20 games and go to the NCAA tournament. Um, although maybe the end of last season should have been a warning for us. They started 18-7, and seven, uh, and they lost uh, six of their last eight games. Lost first game in the SEC tournament. Got yeah. blown out by Oklahoma in their first game in the NCAA tournament. Still, though, I, I thought, well, they'll, they'll – be better even in year two under Kermit Davis. He's such a good coach. And then uh, it just like they hit a crazy skid. They they lost eight out of ten games before they won these last three. Um, but you know things have started had started to turn in late January. Um, they beat Georgia on the road. They take Auburn to double overtime and lose by a point. Um, they play LSU close pretty much throughout on the road and then and lose both those, but then win these last three against South Carolina, Florida, and Mississippi State. So um, I think this is, like, in reality, I mean, I don't think there's anybody's going to have them in the NCAA tournament, but, like, what, what they're playing like now is what I thought they would be. So I would say you take this as, as kind of a fringe, a bubble NCAA tournament team in terms of ability um, coming to Rupp Arena on Saturday. So dangerous, but it would be – somewhat of a shock if they knocked off Kentucky. Well, and then Brewin Tyree in his last three games, as opposed to his game against Auburn, he just had eight points. At LSU, just nine points. Then South Carolina, 38. Against Florida, 23. Against Miss State, 40. Um, so he's had 
that's that looks to be his yeah that's his best three game stretch of the season. He's he, in it but, right you now. Know, but it's not uh, it's not an anomaly either. I mean, he no, was the, he no, was no, the no. top returning scorer in the SEC. Um, was another reason to sort of buy them in the in the preseason. He was he was number one among returning players in scoring last season. So um, and yeah, I think I'd have to pull it up, but I think he did. He played really well against Kentucky. Yeah, I'd have to look that up. I haven't seen um, seen that, but I mean, Ole Miss overall. Uh, once again, like I said, with rebounding, uh, they're toward the bottom of the SEC in total rebounds, uh, total blocks, uh, offensive rebounds, um, field goal percentage defense. They're allowing teams to shoot 42%. Their own field goal percentage is at 43%. I mean, that's not too bad. Um, but I feel like uh, what, what what you predicted – uh, the other night is probably what we're going to see, which is Kentucky in the second half with about 15 minutes to go or so. We'll be up uh, maybe like 12 to 15 points, something like that. And then with about four minutes to go, it'll be like a six-point game, four-point game, and then and then we'll see how Kentucky does down the way. <laughs> I just, yeah. That just seems to be I mean, how it, it goes. That's that's just the that's just the movie we're going to be watching all all season, um, whether people like it or not. But yeah, he did. Uh, he had twenty one last year, Brian Tyree against Kentucky, um, and didn't didn't shoot it particularly great actually. Uh, and that game was it would have had to been down there, right? Yeah, it was at Ole Miss. Yeah, in Oxford. And yeah. it was a four-point four win for Kentucky. A um, little bit of a shootout. They actually got a big game from, uh, what's his name? <laughs> I'm Terrence Davis. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, who's now in him. the NBA. Like, went undrafted yeah. and, and somehow uh, and is now actually in the NBA. He had 25 and 12 in that game. Um. I'm trying to see what did Schuler had ten and six uh, among the players who will be playing in this game. KJ Buffin had seven points and a couple rebounds. So you know they've seen some of the veteran guys for Kentucky have seen these these players before. Um, what did Marshall know, Henderson go for? Marshall Henderson. <laughs> yeah, he had some. I still somewhere have a, a Marshall Henderson head on a stick from when they played. Uh, oh yeah, in the old arena the. Uh, the tad pad, um, it was a tad pad, right? The, the, yeah, the, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, they had a night where they, I think that was Nerlens Noel's crazy block night. Um, they gave away Marshall Henderson heads on a stick uh, in the stand. <laughs> I, I snagged a couple. Um, well, I mean, they've had some good ones, no doubt. Yeah, like I mean, Stefan Moody was another one. Who gosh, was they have had some some definite ridiculous yeah, nu- nuclear scores. I, I think Stefan Moody has one of the big scoring, like the all time big scoring games at Rupp Arena, like in the like high thirties. Mm, yeah. Um, but you know, this is the kind of game, especially at home, that you you need to win as you're making your push. Um, and I think they are making that push. I think I think you mentioned this earlier in the week. If that selection show thing had come out, you know, two days later, Kentucky's probably a top four seed. Yeah. Um, 
and they need Especially to kind of keep that Butler hammer down State. because I think I think what we learned from that, even though they weren't already, is that they are very much in position to get a top four seed, and it feels so big uh, to get it. You know, don't don't stub your toe, get this one done at home, and then you set up this massive game next Tuesday at LSU. Um, which I'll be back on the road for. Apparently, I accidentally booked and then canceled my flight to Baton Rouge on the same <laughs> night, which I found out just a couple days ago. But uh, I'm rebooked, and so I'll be in Baton Rouge for that. Uh, but that 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 one's huge. If you can just take care of this team, and this is like a a decent enough team, it would be wouldn't be a good win. It would be it wouldn't be even be a horrible loss, but it would be kind of an eyebrow raiser. You don't want to add any more black marks to the to the uh, ledger as the the committee's looking at your profile. Um, no, you don't want to lose at home to Ole Miss. But I think no. I, I think if they can kind of roll through this, and that would be four straight wins, it would be eight of the last nine for Kentucky. And then you basically hit the, you know, are you going to win the league stretch? LSU on the road, Florida at home. You knock those out, and you're in great, great shape to go win the SEC in a year that I'm not sure um, – you know, after that Evansville loss, anybody would have predicted. So this series between Ole Miss and Kentucky began in 1925. What is your guess as to how many times Ole Miss has won in Lexington? Oh gosh, in Lexington, I know that I know that Kentucky Ole Miss is one of the crazy lopsided. I mean, they're all crazy lopsided, but I feel like Kentucky Ole Miss is a crazy one. Um, it total, is. It's, it's total a very number crazy. of times. Is it single digits? I think it has to yes. be single digits. I think yes. they're barely double digits in history wins, right? Isn't it like 110 right. to 10? It's 107 to 13. God, that is, that yeah. is, that is so crazy. <laughs> They've played 120 times, and Ole Miss has won 13 of them. Uh, uh, 107 to 13. There are yes. so many. Just I, I, we John Hale so, and I laugh about this all the time when we're like – crack open the game notes and we just start laughing like these all-time series are so ridiculous so many yeah, of them 54 and 2 in Lexington wow that is okay they won in in 1927 37 to 17 uh, that was the second game ever in the series so after and actually they lost and Kentucky lost to um Old Miss in Atlanta in 1928 so the series started uh, two and one in Miss State's favor or in Ole Miss's favor, and then Kentucky won. Oh, I can't even count the number wow. of. But l- let's just say this: they played um, uh, a lot of times after that, after that 1928 game, and up until 1973 was the next time that uh, that uh, that Ole Miss could win again. But the last the last Ole Miss win in Lexington, uh, kind of ironically, oh, came. Valentine's Day. In uh, 1998, yeah, yeah, Valentine's Day, 1998, and and Kentucky went on to win the national championship that year. Omens everywhere. <laughs> Maybe they need to lose to uh, lose to Ole Miss at home after all. Yeah, we'll try to convince UK fans of that. All right, that'll do it for our Valentine's Day edition of uh, this uh, Locked On Kentucky podcast. Uh, apropos that we end right there on a Valentine's Day Ole Miss Kentucky game. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. I am at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R, and Kyle is at? Kyle Tucker underscore A-T-H. Ole Miss at Kentucky, 2 o'clock on Saturday. We'll talk about it when we return on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Mm-hmm.
are Locked On Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcast Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea. <laughs> 